0: Welcome to Concerning Cams, brought to you by Education Pathways. I'm Kevin Connick, your host. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Let's get started. Today's topic is Once Upon a Palm. I have the pleasure to be here with Linda Ray Nelson. Linda is president of Greenscape Southwest Florida. Welcome, Linda, to Concerning Cams, and could you please start by telling us about your background in the landscaping industry?
1: Thanks, Kevin. Um, background. Let me see. I'm third generation native to the Naples area. Um, my parents um, started out as a small residential sodding company, and I just kind of gravitated toward uh, working in the landscape. And I can't even say working. I've had the the blessed um, privilege of being able to come to play every day, and so um, just just Playing in the Naples landscape, Naples and actually South Florida, I should say, because I expanded beyond Naples and so...
0: Okay, well, as we talk about palms, are palm trees are they native to Florida? Do we have that species here?
1: Oh, absolutely. We have a lot of native palms here. Um, you know Florida's rich in palms um, it 's kind of interesting because I think you could probably just about find any palm that 's grown in the world somewhere here in Florida. Right, we took a trip to Portugal two years ago, and it was amazing the palms that was in Portugal that I'll find in the landscape in just about any yard here in Naples. And so it's interesting. Besides, you know, if you if I just told you I was that third generation Florida, you have to go back to the swamp cabbage festival. Um it's a big festival they have in La Belle every year. It's where it's um they'll cut down a, a sable palm. And you can cut down a 14-foot sable palm, and once you harvest it, it's cu- it's the heart of the palm, and it's only about the size of a head of cabbage that you'd buy in the store. And it's got bitter on it, and you kind of cut it back, and you can stew it down, or you can uh, mince it up with raisins and mayonnaise, and um, so... Swamp Cabbage Festival there, Kevin.
0: (laughs) Excellent. Well, as associations think about their planting strategy, what place does the palm play or should it play in an association's landscaping plan?
1: You know, palms play a large part in our landscape. Were you aware of that the palms is our number one rated um, landscape material for hurricane protection?
0: Oh, is that right? Yes.
1: Um, palms protect the landscape. Many years ago, um, they did a, a book on stormwise landscapes, and they realized that the palms actually diffuse the forces of the wind. And so when you're looking at protecting your buildings and the environment, it's the palm trees because it diffuses it. Um, now, that saying... We have to think about our cultural practices on the palms because, you know, sometimes when we're over pruning them to have that feather duster look, Um, you're imbalancing that canopy of the palm. And, well, that's sometimes when you get the the failure in palms. And we have some palms in the landscape that, you know, they're still juvenile, they're very shallow-rooted, and we don't have deep roots here in southwest Florida. So once the soils hit saturation rates, we have a much larger failure rate in some of the palms.
0: Okay. What are some of the more popular palms that we see in south Florida?
1: Well, we've got a big variety, but if, if I was going to list, like, the top five, I would say the sable palm by far um, because of its economical value mm-hmm. and because of its um, diversity in the landscape. You know, when you look at the palms, and we talk about them, I, w- I want to note that when you're looking at a sable palm, I kind of want you to look at the palm of your hand, and that's called a palmate. And so a sable palm looks like your hand, which would be a palmate. And then when you step into the royals, um, they look like feather dusters and that's when you get them in the pinnate family. And so it's an easy way of, of, of identifying the type of palm that, that you're dealing with. Um, you're, when you, you, you again, we go back to those top p- palms that we have. We have the sable palm, the royal palms, always a favorite. Everyone loves the royal palm. Um, then I would say the coconut palm for our high rise palms. And then our most popular lower growing palms is your Christmas palm, of course. Your pygmy palms, um, your bottle palms, the Bismarcks. Oh, we could, we could go all morning long with the palm conversation.
0: Okay. It, sound, it sounds like there are hundreds of them.
1: Trick question for you, Kevin. Okay. All right. Is a palm a tree or a grass?
0: Wow. I'm going to guess and say that it's a tree, but I'm hesitant to say that. Uh,
1: it is a monocot. So a palm genetically is nothing more than a big old piece of grass a wow. blade of grass same characteristics kind of interesting when you look at it that way
0: Yeah and more expensive than sod
1: 100% <laughs> One last trivia you ready Yep So Florida we're unique we're unique people in Florida I can say that I'm native Um what do you think our state tree is
0: No idea
1: Sable palm, <laughs> okay. which is a grass. Okay, so it should be our state grass. Okay, side humor, side humor. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good one, though. <laughs> um,
0: so, are there things we need to be careful about when we when we choose palms to plant on uh, an association property?
1: One hundred percent. When you're looking at palms, always remember what the maturity is going to be. You know, a, a coconut palm is going to be twenty five to thirty foot across, so you don't want to plant it within ten feet of a building. Royal palms are going to have a 30 to 40 foot canopy cross section spread. So you want to make sure that you give them enough room to where you're not constantly trimming the fronds because they're touching the building. You know, I see a lot of it with sable palms. Um, unfortunately, developers come in and they put them 18 inches off the sides of the buildings. Again, cams and and new owners have no voice in that. And so the only corrective actions is they're constantly over trimming the palms, which long-range um, creates stress on the palms. And I think that's why we've seen so many palms of different varieties um, decline in our landscapes is because of over-pruning techniques.
0: Okay. Have we seen um, diseases in, in, impacting palms in Florida?
1: Oh, tremendously. We, we've we had a disease, Ganoderma, that has been with us for a number of years. It's still probably one of our most prevalent diseases. Um, you will see for cerium um, that is prevalent in the palms. Um, we have um, the sudden queen palm decline, and we have a new one called bronzing. Um, it used to be the Texas Phoenix palm decline, but uh, we had to change the name. Okay. And so um, those are some of the major declines that we've seen. You know, Ganoderma's been with us for many, 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 many years. You know, and um, it's not usually the primary cause a palm decline. It's a secondary. It, it meant something wounded that palm or, or caused um, the opportunist to, to come in and settle in.
0: And do we lose a palm when that happens or is it possible to save palms?
1: For the most part, when Ganoderma, 100%, you're going to lose it. And unfortunately, many, many, many times you should not go back with a another palm in that area. Um, some of the other diseases, you can go back with a palm, maybe change the the, the family of the palm, um, relocation, maybe move it out a couple feet, um, but you can go back with palms. Depending upon, again, what it is, Ganoderma, 100%, I, I would not recommend it. Um, and science backs it not to go back with a, a palm in an area where Ganoderma is. You know, and, and Ganoderma is a disease that primarily attacks um, wood that is um, decomposing. So, you know, when you go into the Eureka palms and you cut out the stalks in Eureka palms, within a number of years, you're going to get Ganoderma. Now, sometimes the Eureka palm can outgrow it for a while, but you're going to get the Ganoderma conchs on there.
0: Yes, sir. Linda, you mentioned that a poorly placed palm will need additional attention, and it sounds like that means it's going to need to be cut back regularly. But if it's well placed, what attention does it need from a landscaper?
1: Well, excellent question, Kevin. It would depend upon the, the species. You know, if you were dealing with the sable palm, I would say just remove the brown frogs and the seed pods. You know, then you have a nice, big, full canopy. You know, the Christmas palms, the foxtails... The royal palms are all self-shedding. Now, on the royal palms, as they get larger, you might want to go up there and you know and cut the fluorescence out when they emerge the seed pods mm. and get them out just for the safety of whatever may be underneath that palm because they could be a little bit heavy. But when you're when you're looking at them in open areas, let the canopy be. You know that way you're not stressing it. Palms is is a unique um, landscape as um, it stores all its nutrients pretty much in the lower fronds. And so when you go in there and you start taking off all those lower fronds, you're really pulling um, essential vital nutrients away from that palm and can cause some significant deficiencies in it.
0: So once we've made a decision to uh, plant palms in an association, what type of fertilization plan do they need to have in place?
1: Ah, another good question. You know, when when we think about fertilizers, first I want you to look at the blend that you're using and make sure that you're using a blend that is adaptable to palms. Um, the other thing is, many many years, um, a lot of our association members they 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 want to see the rings around the root system. And that is such an incorrect way of applying fertilizer. If you see rings around the base of your palms, you know that you're you're creating damage because there's salts in that fertilizer. You're burning those roots. When you put fertilizer down on your palms, you're going to want to put it at the drip line. So let's say that you've got a royal palm and it's got a 20-foot drip line. That means on each side of that palm, the fronds are extending 10 feet. It's a very small royal to be like that. You're going to want to make sure that you're, like you're putting down chicken feed or scattering. You wanna scatter the fertilizer around that drip line. That way it's far enough away from the tree that it's being picked up. Because remember you have a root to shoot ratio. So those roots are way out there at that drip line and that's where they're pulling in all their nutrients. And so you wanna get it out there to where that palm can pick it up and bring it back and not have the salts burn it. You know, for many years, um, people would would base how much fertilizer they used on a palm based on the diameter of the palm. And we're kind of rethinking that process the last five to ten years. And instead of <clears throat> looking at the diameter of the palm, which can be affected by many different environmental factors, you know, again, being a palm... Um, will cannibalize itself when it has not enough nutrients to support growth, sometimes you can't base it on the diameter of the palm's trunk. And so the, the state has looked at it now and says, let's base it on the canopy. So to give you an example, if you had a canary palm, which its canopy would typically be 20 to 25 feet, if you're if you're putting down fertilizer, that's going to give you about 400 to 520 feet of fertilizer. So you'd need about seven to seven and a half pounds of fertilizer for that palm. Hmm. And so, what you want to look at, kind of a rule of thumb, is you want to try to do a pound to a pound and a half for every hundred square foot of canopy. So, if we're looking at a canary and I'm saying, okay, we're somewhere between seven seven and a half feet. If I bring that down to a Bismarck, a Bismarck at canopy, full canopy is going to be four to five hundred square feet. So again, you would be somewhere between six point eight to eight point three pounds. You know, something a little bit smaller, like your fox we were talking about earlier, mm-hmm. that would probably only be about. About 3.8 to 4 pounds of fertilizer applied at the canopy drip line because they typically only have a canopy line of about 240 feet.
0: Okay. I've, I've heard the term Arboget, and I'm wondering if you could talk a little, little bit about that and help us to better understand it.
1: Arboget is relatively a new practice with our palms. It's been in trees for years, and it's still used in trees very widely. The benefits to using Arboget with our palms is kind of like an IV unit for us humans. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we go into the doctor and they'll put an IV in and they have our medicine or our hydration in a bag and it's a slow drip into our system. By arbor if you've got a palm that's got an insect infestation or a nutrient imbalance, um, by putting a small hole into the vascular system of a palm, remember, it's it's a grass. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's just billions of little tubes going up and down with, with the, the essentials of the palm. By putting that fluid directly into the vascular system, that palm picks it up immediately. I mean, if it, when we had whitefly really significant in the areas, you could put the ArborJet, applications in there, and within minutes, you would have the flies kind of just falling. That's how fast it's picked up. Hmm. So the biggest areas that we use the arborjet is in deficiencies. If you've got palms that's got significant deficiencies, um, the Arbogetting is a much faster way of correcting those. You can correct them with granular fertilizations, but it takes a little bit longer. And if you've got a palm that's stressed, it's going to be hard for it to, to process The granular applications to where the arbor jetting is a much more effective, um, faster, cleaner um, way of applying corrective medicine to a palm.
0: Linda, thank you for joining us today on Concerning Cams to walk us through Once Upon a Palm. If listeners have additional questions, how can they best reach you or your associates? At Greenscapes Southwest Florida.
1: You could just reach out to 239-643-4471. That's our main office. And there's always someone here to help you. Or you can email us at uh, www.greenscapesfl.com. Or drop me an email directly at lnelson at greenscapesfl.com.
0: Thanks, Linda. And we'll put that in the end notes for the podcast today so our listeners can access it. Have a great day.
1: Thanks.